Revolting is produced by the Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. This is Revolting, with Steve and Robot on the Cycling Independent, episode 63, Losing It. Content warning, we're obligated to tell you if you don't like bad words and immature consent, con- content nonsense, this podcast isn't for you. Go bedazzle your underpants or water your chia pet. <laughs> <laughs> Deuces. Deuces. <laughs> Good morning, Robot. It's been two weeks it's been two weeks uh since my last confession i've had a little bit of an adventure in that time i returned to the scene of well i went back to oakland for the first time in almost two years saw right. saw what was my house saw what was my cat saw what was my wife at all of which i didn't think three months ago i would ever do and i started hypnotism six weeks ago with this woman named heather something and i don't remember i just kind of like i I was in the doctor um i was in the doctor's office and i saw a pamphlet for hypnotism and i've been thinking about hypnotism since 2015 after i crashed my mountain bike and did a real number on my right leg. Uh, and that gave me fe- a lot of fear. And I thought I'm never going to be able to ride at the same level because I, I know how badly that affected me emotionally. And I thought I'm going to have to get hypnotized to get rid of the fear so I can ride, you know, like I did before I tore everything out of my right knee. Uh, oh, never got around to it. Cause you know, it took me a little while to, um, I don't know. All the planets kind of had to come into line, but I always referred to that scene in the movie office space where the protagonist gets hypnotized to not give a shit about anything. And then his hypnotherapist subsequently has a heart attack and dies. And so our protagonist goes on throughout the movie, not giving a shit. And I wanted to not give a shit, but I knew that it wasn't practical to, ask a hypnotherapist to make it so I didn't give a shit. So I had to articulate that a little bit more clearly. And, um, man, I mean, within two sessions, I think was when my wife called me and asked if I wanted a house sit for her while she went to take care of her sister's kids for a week. And just even the notion, even the mention, um, it, what it would have previously instilled so much grief i think and she asked me and i was like "Ooh, that actually sounds really nice and i said let me sleep on it for a couple of days and see how this next session settles and i'll get back with you and i didn't feel anything but sort of an eager anticipation and I went and it was a lovely trip and I can't believe I'm, I don't even feel like I'm the same person as, as I was. It's, it's wild. Now it's gotta be, that's some like delicate, delicate surgery, that mm-hmm. kind of hypnotism, because it, when I don't give a shit, I mean, yes, I'm not reactive to certain, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I was like, uh, how many people did you murder? <laughs> But now that I'm thinking about it, like no one could really if you if you achieve that sort of state, um, no one's going to bother you, really. No, no. I mean, I don't know how to describe it. It just like you're still affected or I still feel affected. I just don't personalize anything. Hmm. I don't, I don't know. Um, 
I wish I had my sketchbook with me because I had actually written the notes down of what I wanted, you know, what I wanted it, what I wanted to achieve with this. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I put it in a post a couple of weeks ago on all hail the black market. I listed them in there and it just, it was like turning the, the volume down on everything. It was turning fear down. It was turning anxiety down. It was turning, um, my apprehension, jealousy, um, ego. I don't know. There was, there was a whole list. There's a, a whole litany of notions or, or, or parts of my personality that I didn't, that didn't serve me. Mm. Um, Oh man. Cause I didn't want to, you know, I really wanted And I, and we joked the, the hypnotherapist and I joked, you know, right out of the gate, I was like, I want you to make me not give a shit, you know? And yeah. she knew what I was talking about. Um, so, you know, obviously working with a, working with a person who under who can vibe with you or understands your sense of humor or understands your, you know, can read your personality is important. I remember when I finally called the doctor, my doctor's office about my depression, uh, which was like after many years of just suffering through whatever, I finally went to the doctor and they connected me with this woman. And she said, what, what is your goal what is your goal from this? And I was like, well, I'd like to not feel crushing misery. And occasionally I'd like to feel the way people in TV commercials look like <laughs> they feel. Mm-hmm. She didn't, she didn't, she was like, what? And I was <laughs> like, you've seen TV, haven't you? <laughs> Do you notice how fucking happy they are about how much their cat enjoys the, the cat food they got for them? I want to, I want to, Sometimes I want to achieve that. Yeah. Well, some, you know, some of the ads are for like things that help you, you know, prevent you from shitting yourself or whatever. And if you're, yeah, you know, <laughs> those people are genuinely that happy. <laughs> I don't care what uh, the side effects are. Have you seen the new Pepto-Bismol commercials? Uh-uh. They sing a song in it. And sort of like the very peak of the song, they're saying, upset stomach diarrhea. Oh and the, yeah, that I mean it's been there's been a variation of uh there's been a variation of that song for a long time. And they have uh, a little dance where they touch their stomach and they touch their butt and they you know they do all that stuff, right? And that what same thing? Yes. In fact, maybe my hypnotist would just somehow <laughs> make it so that anytime I'm unsettled, that song and visual plays across my mind. Uh <laughs> I mean anything's possible the human the human body is uh the human the human body is a trip the human brain is a trip you know like if you think about a very if you know very uh basically the the brain is just this ball of meat that's full of billions of electrical connections and you're re you rewire you know i mean they've been doing They've been doing weird brainwashing stuff and the Manchurian candidate. And, you know, they've been trying all of this shit for so long to try to figure out, like, how to. Well, I don't know. I don't trust the American government or the military to not try to weaponize the brain. But there are people that are actively working on trying to tune it up, as it were, you know. And actually your electric meatball. That was, uh, that was a conversation that that we had, uh, the, the one night we were with each other, we had dinner. Um, and I was like, you know, some people like tune up their cars, like their cars or their hobbies, you know, and they buy new parts and, and trick their cars out. Like, I feel like for the first time, like tricking myself out (laughs) is, is like, it feels like a hobby now, you know, like. I've said for a long time, I'm trying to be the, I'm trying to grow into the best version of myself that I can. Mm. Like, I want to just blow, I want to blow my own mind, you know? Mm. And <clears throat> so to, to get to that place, like I've got to, I got to invest in myself. I got to get, 
pop-ups. I got to get tuned, you know, tuned up parts or custom machined pieces to put in my machine to make it fucking badass. And I'm the Lift only kits. one. Who's, yeah, I'm the only one who's going to know that it's awesome. You know, it's not like you're going to go out and you're fucking 67 GTO and everybody's going to know how pissed it is. Uh, but I'm going to be walking around in this with this mechanism that I've done all of this work on to make it super fucking great. And it feels really good for the first time. I can say that, like, I feel like I'm headed in, in a really good direction. It's wild. Wow. wow. I, know. I know. What a difference what? a year makes. What? You know, it's so, uh, I know we're recording a podcast, but, um, let's just pretend we're not for a minute. And as a friend, I'm just going to say, that's fucking awesome. Like we've been doing this for a while and, uh, I've watched this whole sort of like slow motion car crash of your life for the last, I don't know, year and a half. Mm hmm. Uh, I, it's been two years, but I came in, I came on the scene, uh, a little later. So just watching <clears> that and like, it's really been sort of like, you're seeing this car spin on some black ice and you're like, oh no, he's got it straightened out. No. Oh no. He's spinning again. <laughs> he's spinning again. Oh no. Oh no. He's no, he's, he's inside the guard. Right. Oh, uh, it's <laughs> been like that for, you know, a long time. Months. <laughs> Months. I mean, really for long before, um, Long before we knew each other, yes. it was, it was a, it was a, it was controlled chaos kind of, I yeah. feel like up until now and some days were better than others, but certainly when we first started, uh, working with each other, uh, things were pretty fucking dark. Yes. Yeah. So this is nice. I, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm fucking I'm into it. I feel I feel a great deal of peace and uh, I'm happy to be able to to share the experience and the victory, you know, however significant or insignificant that might be for anybody who's hearing this. Sure. So um, I mean, it's inspiring. I think it's inspiring, like put in the fucking work and get some results. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I think what's like trips people up is that you can't, there's not, there's not a magic bullet for everybody, you know, it's, it's right. well, what's worked for me isn't necessarily going to work for somebody else. And I have gone through a lot of trial and error and maybe you're going to find somebody, uh, you know, be it a hypnotherapist or a, or a therapist, or, you know, I've done neurofeedback therapy and all this stuff. Uh, and my, my friend Pam actually told me about neurofeedback therapy and she said, I've done all kinds of talk therapy. I've done all kinds of, you know, uh, different kinds of therapies. And she said, neurofeedback was the thing that changed her, the entire playing field for her, like in rapid, mm. rapid succession. Mm. And so, you know, I thought, oh, I want to do that. And I did it and it was, it was great, but it wasn't it wasn't like this was for me, you know? So it's a building block in this whole process. Yeah. And I can see, because I have done a lot of, lot of hits and misses, um, you know, over the course of my life where I see a therapist and you invest all of this time and all of this energy into talking through this stuff. And then you walk away with fucking nothing, you know? And it makes you, it makes you a little, or it could make a person, I could see how it could make a person real frustrated and just kind of want to give up. Um, but you're, it's not like you're not getting anything because you're learning how to talk about the shit and you're building a vocabulary and you're building tools so that when you find somebody you can work with, you're more well prepared. Yeah, my, my experience is that talking is really good at identifying what the problems, triggers challenges are mm -hmm. but i i believe that you have at some at some way you have to change your behavior to change your patterns and change the situation mm -hmm. Th does that make sense yeah i mean it's it's a it's a whole it's an entire investment you know you can't you can't half-ass any of this. You can't just go through the motions. You have to really commit yourself. 
you can't just bare hand a car battery and uh-uh. be by all your issues. Uh-uh. And I love, I was, you know, I, was, I, I had uh, dinner with our friend Amanda K. Ryan last night. And um, we were talking, I said, it's funny that I talk about, I talk about therapy in these terms like, you're, you know, I started with you're, you say you're an expert refrigerator uh, repair person and, and you have all of the tools for refrigeration. And then somebody comes along and they say, hey, I got a lawnmower or a 63 Corvair or something. And can you help me fix it? And you're like, well, I don't really know that much about internal combustion. I've got all of these tools. I've got these <laughs> this immense set of rollaways full of kick ass tools, but not tools specific to this issue. You know, and then I turn around and I use an analogy of like hopping up a car. Yeah. And it's just, it's kind of, I was, I was kind of laughing to myself last night. Like I'm, I'm turning all of this into like, it's like quote guy talk, you know, like uh, <laughs> tools or like building a car or a hot rod or whatever. Right. Um, you know, she was saying the same thing, you know, she's like, I've got, I got, you're just waiting. Therapy is just like when the snap on salesperson shows up. And you right. buy a bunch of badass new tools to put in your cabinet, <laughs> but you know whatever makes the analogy you know land how, in your brain. Right. I was just kind of laughing that I like turn everything into this sort of car talk kind of shit. Let's get vulnerable about our GTOs. <laughs> right. I was sharpening mm. my chainsaw down at the therapist's office. Right. I mean yeah. it's. Whatever, whatever, you know, whatever makes it make sense to you uh, yes. and for, for whatever reason that all of those analogies just kind of fit into my brain properly. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the overarching point is, uh, number one, own your problem. Number two, start doing something about it. Mm hmm. And yeah, and, and and by starting doing something about it, you're you're literally building a brand new vocabulary like nobody's good at this shit right out. Well, I don't think anybody's good at this shit right out of the gate. Like it takes a lot of work and you're learning a new language. You know, it's a practice. Yeah. I mean, the biggest realization or the biggest admission for me because i spent a lot of years depressed and people knew i was depressed and i said i'm working on it i'm working on it which meant that i was thinking about it Mm -hmm. which i think is another another way to say i was wallowing and thinking about it is still part of the process though it is but i think it it skips over the fact that you need help you know like someone said to me once uh you're not going to fix a broken brain with a broken brain um and that struck me as very correct. I needed somebody else's input mm-hmm. uh, and somebody else's advice and guidance because I was not going to figure it out on my own. Right. And, or, or could you with your friends because your friends aren't qualified and they're by it. They have right. a bias. Right. So that's what I have to say about that. Um, Good. Let's talk about music. Yeah. What do you got? Uh, this week, I'm picking the first album by the Canadian band Fucked Up. Uh, that album is called Hidden World. And uh, Fucked Up has made a number of good albums, although it seems to me that as they've gone along, they've gotten less good. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I This happens to me a lot where I discover a band, I get their first record and I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And then as they mature as musicians, they leave me behind. Mm. Like maybe they I mean, I'm sure they perceive themselves as doing newer, more interesting things. But I almost almost always like the first or second album best. Uh, and this record, Hidden World, when I first heard it, I was like, yes. This is the music we need right now. And it's it's like um, it's hardcore, but with it's hardcore played by uh, creative and interesting musicians. What year did Hidden World come out? I think it came out in 2006 or nine. Uh, (laughs) It's one of those. Are there other fucked ups? Other bands called Fucked Up? Yeah. I don't think so. I had a Fucked Up shirt in like 96. 
that would have been a different band then. I guess it, I guess it was. Okay. Well, I'm, I mean, I love, you know, any band called fucked up. I'm, I'm into. You're uh, there for it. Yeah. You don't know this record. Uh-uh. No. Uh, amazing. I don't think so. And I think I thought it was the same fucked up, you know, and it just like steered away 20 years ago or 15 years ago when it, and when, when this fucked up wasn't even a band yet. So I guess so. This, this record came out in 2006. Um, the, I've picked on here a band before called career suicide, mm-hmm. uh, which is an, another sort of throwback eighties, hardcore band. Like actually career suicide was the, like the guitar player maybe and drummer. It's like two people from fucked up who did a, Hardcore, hardcore band, but it's 80s style hardcore, which I find very pleasing. Um, so I've picked that band before, but Fucked Up has been this sort of, I don't know, standard bearer for what modern creative uh, hardcore. It's also like they call it experimental, like there's some psychedelic components. Um, mm. But I like I love that first record. There's a, the opening track baiting the public is so it makes me so happy. All right. Well, I will uh, reinvestigate this new fucked up that I thought was the old fucked up, but apparently it's not. Okay. No, you're going to love this record. I'm very, in fact, I'm a little bit excited that you haven't, you don't know it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I thought I, I thought I knew, but apparently I had no idea. Hmm. Um. I will go in a totally different direction, but kind of a similar direction. Uh, uh, Corrosion of Conformity, Deliverance. Oh. I've been listening oh. to the shit out of that record these last this last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, double album, if you get it on vinyl, uh, which means that uh, the grooves per side are wider so there's more information for your record needle to pick up and it's a fuller sound than if those grooves were compressed. Um, so with the double album, you know, you're putting less information or you're putting, there's more information. There's fewer songs per side. Uh, it gives him a little bit more room to breathe, I guess. So, so to speak, uh, that came out in 1992, I think. And of course those who have followed, Corrosion of Conformity's long and varied career. Uh, they were a punk band back in the way back and um, kind of grew into this sort of like uh, bluesy metal, I don't know what, garage, garage metal? I don't know what the fuck you call them. Mm. Uh, but Pepper Keenan has been, I think he's been like the mainstay and He's he's great. He's an amazing guitarist. He's, I love his voice. And uh, there's a couple covers on this. I think they do a Sabbath cover, and I feel like maybe they do like a Stooges cover or something on this record. I could be totally off base. And I'm seeing this record about. came out in '94. Oh, did I say '92? You did, but what I feel dick. like for for you that's very accurate. <laughs> um, it's got. It's got uh, Mono de Mono, which is a Weatherman cover. I don't know what that is. And um, I don't know. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It says here, real good. Yeah, it is is real good. And again, I will remind folks, if they haven't listened to this uh, PSA in other episodes that we have a nearly completely compiled list of every music pick um on the all hell the black market website and the sidebar there's a little crappy uh, banner ad that i made with a picture of liberace over on the right hand side and if you click on that it'll take you to the post and that post will have all the music picks that we've had on the revolting podcast thus far, save for a, a couple that I couldn't find. It's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. Yeah. It was two times 60, whatever, 120. So there's a, yeah, well, fewer than that. Cause I kind of couldn't find some of them. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So if you're interested, you like the music picks and you want to know where they can all be found there, you, there you go. So 
uh, let's get on with the business. Let's, let's take a, we're going to take a quick break here. Where we say some shit. I don't know what we're going to say, but we're going to say some shit. And then we'll come back and say some more shit. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Hi, it's Robot. By this point in the podcast, you're all in. You're going the distance. Not all your life choices are the best, but that's okay. None of us is perfect. Here's where I lay it on the line. We're going to entertain you for an hour. We'll do it again next week. In a month, we're going to give you four hours of belly laughs and deep, deep thoughts. All we need from you is a $3 a month subscription to the Cycling Independent. Three bucks, a cup of coffee, a really cheap beer. You've, you've got that money, and, w- and we need it. If you've got more, there are 5 and $10 subscriptions, but we're not pushing. We're not pleading. That $3 would help plenty. And now... Back to whatever inane nonsense we were talking about before. I wonder what kind of right, shit we back. said. What, what sort All of shit, shit did we say? We said do what we said to do. Whatever it is that we said, <laughs> just a second ago, do that. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this episode is about losing things. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, and it comes from a listener who asked not to be named because that makes him feel weird. Although, as a revolting listener, he is weird. So, anyway. What physical thing do you find yourself searching for late at night the most? Not your keys. Forget that. We're talking about that late night obsessive search to find a camelback you know you owned 20 years ago and suddenly must find or a bike part that you stuck somewhere uh, special and you can't find it or a record you know you own or a beer koozie or a pair of pair of shoes. Uh <laughs> Do you have a do you have a a good example or or a bad example? It might be funny or not. <laughs> <laughs> How was that? <laughs> that was so good. <sighs> Go for it. Uh, let me let me have it. Uh, bad example, but still funny. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, this is. <laughs> Stephen and I are laughing because this is all written out. This is part of the question from the listener. And Stephen just got tired of reading. And so he is trying to fuck me by making me pick the, pick the reading up. It's like that kid in class who sits in the desk in front of you and the paragraph is one sentence and he thinks the teacher's going to let him get away with that. Uh, all right. Here it goes. Bad example, but still funny. Last summer... Uh, our curious listener spent hours spanning across days trying to find a pack of three cooling towels that he foolishly purchased to try to circumvent the hot summer days in the Pacific Northwest, where air conditioning is rare. He found them recently, in the dead of winter, stored logically in the back of the freezer. What the fuck? Why didn't he look in the most obvious place to store them? Oh, you know what? (laughs) <laughs> he might have, he might have a semi better example. <laughs> well, let's hear that. <laughs> this one night, he spent close to two hours looking for a stupid generic messenger bag that he bought about fifteen years ago. Couldn't find it. Ah, knows he still owns it. Yep. He was perfectly fine around uh, ten o'clock that evening, but at ten o five, suddenly needed to find the bag, and he searched closets, garage corners. More closets, under beds, in nooks, crannies. No luck. And now he's got a hole that he can't fill. I so, get it. I fucking, uh, I get dude, it. I get, this is, it is, I am notorious about this shit. I always have been my entire life where you're like, oh, what the fuck? Where's that? I had a Bones Brigade shirt and I have not seen that thing in 20 years. And I know I, you know, and then you have to, yeah. it, it turns into this fevered fucking hunt. Um, and I used to, you know, when all of my shit was in one place. Yeah. This stuff would get pretty dire sometimes for me. And I would obsess. Now my shit's in two places. And I have this general mental you know, catalog of like where the stuff is, but uh, everything is, everything is lost. And I, in a frenzy, unloaded 
four giant garbage bags of bike clothes. I don't know what was in there. Uh, tons of paintings. I don't know which ones I, you know, I just like, I like, I was frantic, you know, right before I moved. So I have that made it a little bit easier. It was hard, but it ultimately made it a little bit easier. Cause like, I don't know where fucking anything is anymore. And I just kind of have to live with that. Yeah. I was going to say, so does that help you let go? You're like, yeah, I probably gave it away and therefore I don't have to look for it. Yeah. You know, if you, if you have something and you didn't need it for, you haven't used it for a year, then you probably don't need it and you can get rid of it or whatever. There's that a lot of that plays into it. Um, Yeah. uh, But I still like this question or this, this scenario, uh, it just, it fucking kills me. Cause I, it, it's been like that my entire life. It's all, it's, it's like, it's almost like pathological. I think there's two sides to it. On the one hand, there's that Bones Brigade shirt that you haven't seen in 20 years. And and you, that was fine. But suddenly you're like, oh, no, that's the shirt that I have to put on today. It doesn't matter that <laughs> yeah. you have 600 <laughs> other fucking shirts. Yeah. That day you're like, oh, I have to put on that. You know, like, so you have the, uh, like a. Like, yeah, something, some switch flips and you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah. The word, the, uh, the other side of it is that you're constantly trying to be organized. Like how many times, how many times do I say like the, like the three-way hex wrench, right? The four, five, six hex wrench. I'm like, oh, I'm taking the four, five, six hex wrench out of the little slot that I keep it in. And, but I'm going to remember that I used it here and I put it here because I don't want to go back to the garage, but I'm going to remember, but I don't remember, but I do that like once a week, once a week, I'm like, you know, it's a really logical place to keep this thing. Oh, it's here in this little slot, of course. (laughs) And then seven months later, when I need that thing, I'm like, Oh, I put it somewhere logical. Right. Yeah. Or, or maybe not. You know, and then you'd like you, it's the scenario where you find your reading glasses in the refrigerator or something, you know, like. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> coming back, I have two I have two recent examples coming back from. Uh, from Oakland, I brought with me my beloved Hunter cyclocross bike. It is dude, this bike is so amazing. Uh, he, he, Rick and I were texting with each other. So he, at this point has built, you know, like over a thousand bikes. And I think this bike was 290. He said, he went and looked through his paperwork and it was, he's built me three bikes. Uh, but this was the second bike he built me and it's just, it's just brilliant. I can't believe how light it is. It's just fucking, it's just this nimble, perfect little beautiful thing. Anyway, uh, whatever I put it in my travel case I have a Thompson stem and it's got that little binder, whatever the fuck it's called, the binder wedge. Mm-hmm. That, and then, and then I had, um, I have avid shorty, uh, candy breaks and mm-hmm. they have these little red aluminum anodized bits with two little O rings on them, but my O rings broke. And so the thing just falls out all the time. If you open the brakes, the thing falls on the ground. Mm-hmm. So inevitably I'm going to end up losing that. And then there was a QR spring and I threw these things in this bag, got back to Bellingham, started reassembling the bike. Couldn't find, couldn't find the bag of stuff. And I looked through my travel bag. I looked through my backpack. I looked through all of my shit. I like feverishly. And then of course I'm texting my ex. And I'm like, is there a bag of little metal parts anywhere on any one of these surfaces is where they would be. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know. I'll look around. I can't see, I can't seem to find anything. And I'm like, okay, okay. I'm looking in my fucking shoes. I know I have it somewhere. And I am, I have like turned my place upside down and then I look and there, it's just sitting on this shelf. It's like the first thing I unpacked. Yeah. And then yesterday, uh, Chris McNally and I are in the process. We've been working on a book of drawings for oh, that's exciting. Fucking yes. three years or some shit. 
Uh, yes. And the book is done and we're like scheduling uh, signing and release dates. And, you know, we're going to I'm going to go to San Francisco. and We're going to have a book signing. He's going to come to Seattle and we're going to have a book signing. And it's all very exciting. But I got this uh, these patches made with the name of the book. So you get a book, you get a patch. Oh, I took, I don't know, 250 patches because I thought I'd see Chris and I'd pass these patches off to him. Um, so I got this gallon bag full of patches. I start looking for them and I can only find my, my half the patches. I have no idea where Chris's patches are. I pull my travel case back out of storage, look through every single pocket, do the whole thing. I was looking for these fucking little metal parts. And I spent an hour like my, my, my space you've been here. It's not that big, but no. like a dummy, I'm the kind of person that would put this bag of patches like absentmindedly, like in my bike clothes. I'm never going to find them if I put them <laughs> in the bike clothes because they don't belong there. Right. Right. So I know they're somewhere on the premises and I'm looking feverishly while I'm trying to handle other stuff. But like I'm like now it's just laser focus obsession. And I've, and then again, I text my ex. I'm like, hey, oh, so have you seen a, bag, a gallon bag full of patches? <laughs> she's like what uh, and then and then I remembered that I sent myself a package with some books and stuff and so, like, I, so it was all you know whatever it was all for not it wasn't like the stuff disappeared ultimately all of the pieces are where they're supposed to be but I was completely unhinged and I was like the fucking TSA the TSA opened my bike bag and stole my patches like, it was absolutely <laughs> I was so absolutely absolutely convinced of this. I did one this morning. I got in the car last week, so we're we're in the like freeze thaw uh cycle here this winter, and I got in the car and there was no ice scraper. I had to like, you know, shush some snow off and scrape a little. There was no scraper. So I was like, God damn it. And and I immediately blame my 18-year-old son and then subsequently my <laughs> wife. <laughs> you know, like, oh, they put it on the roof of the car and drove off and now there's no scraper and I'm screwed. So I get through last week's uh, uh, scenario with this little hand scraper thing. That's fine. Uh, and then I'm like, oh, you got to you got to figure this scraper thing out because you're going skiing and you're doing all this other shit. Uh, and of course, I don't figure it out because... <laughs> Someone in Vermont once told me I had uh, I had a leak uh, in my roof and they said, well, you know what we say in Vermont is uh, you you can't fix your leaky roof while it's raining. And when it's not raining, well, your roof's as good as any other man's roof. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, so I didn't fuck with the scraper thing. And then that last night here, it snowed uh, a few inches and like froze up and I went out to the car I had to like shovel so my wife could go to work this morning and she comes out. I'm like, Hey, do you know where the fucking scraper is? <laughs> and she's like, uh, is it not in the back of the car? I used it the other day. And then I put it with the grocery bags in the trunk of the car. I'm like, I don't think it's there. I looked up and down in this car. So I opened the trunk and it's sitting right fucking there. Uh, there's something about, I don't know when it comes to that kind of stuff. You remember that TV show, the uh, moonlighting <laughs> Yes, with Bruce Willis and civil shepherd. Sometimes yeah. I get my own memories confused with like things <laughs> that I've seen on TV. Oh, and, sure. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Like back in the eighties when civil shepherd and I had a private investigation company and we, there was a little That's bit, right. there's a lot of romantic tension between us, but uh, you know, oh, we yeah. always kept it above board until later on in our relationship, we hooked up, but she left, she let me drive her BMW around and we go like get into capers and stuff. Anyway, yeah. there's an episode where they, they're, it's like a ghost of Christmas past kind of a situation. And the, and there's a scene where they walk up, the whoever the ghost is with walks up and like picks up this person's coffee cup off their desk and they turn around and they're like, the fuck? I mean, it was right there a second ago. And then they put the coffee cup back down and they're like, ah, oh. and they take the cup, you know, and they drink, drink out yeah. of their coffee cup. So I always think of that scene when, when it's almost like your brain is creating a blank spot in the exact shape of the thing that you're looking for. You're looking so hard and you're looking for the color or the shape or the the dimensions or whatever, but 
for whatever reason, you are completely blind to it. Oh, this happens. I mean, this is a thing with me all the time. And I actually learned something. I was doing some research for this uh, thing that I'm working on about getting hit by cars. And um, I was reading a book. It was a physics book, actually. But the guy was talking about how vision works. Uh, And he said, we think that what our eyes are doing is interpreting incoming information. You're Mm -hmm. looking and the world is like projecting itself into your eyes, but that's not actually how vision works. The way vision works is in your mind, you project what you expect to see because that's much faster. Very interesting. there's There's this projection. And then what you're actually doing Uh, with your eyes is you're verifying the projection. And so it's very possible to look into the refrigerator and not see the milk because it didn't, it wasn't part of the initial projection. Mm. I mean, you could also just be a fucking dimwit like me and thereby lose the milk, which is right there. My wife, it gets no end of pleasure from like opening the refrigerator grabbing the the like half and half for coffee and handing it to me after i've just been like where the fuck is the half and <laughs> did we throw it out did someone did the dog eat the half and half like what the fuck uh the tsa probably took it tsa took it yeah um have you seen my wife and i in the 90s my wife and i were part of this fbi unit that was dedicated to like trying to decide whether there was alien life or not And I tended to believe that there were aliens and she was really the skeptic. Um, (laughs) She was a medical examiner at the time, too. Right. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Also, also a bit of romantic tension between you all for a long time. That's right. That's Uh, right. Do you have you seen there's a campaign? um, I think it's I I don't know where it where it was, but there's a scene and there's a bunch of people like passing a basketball back and forth and bouncing it and stuff. And they're running all around. It says how many how many people were playing basketball or, you know, the question is how many people are playing basketball. And then all these people are like passing this ball back and forth and Jimmy, Jimmy and around. And then it goes, uh, how many bears did you see or something like this? Oh yeah. yeah, And you go back and there's a fucking bear, a person in a bear suit moonwalks through this whole crowd of people. (sighs) And it's basically about like driving and being aware of other things. And so as you know, like if we're going to talk about, we got to talk about bicycles for a second. Um, As a driver, you're not seeing a bicycle or a bicycle rider because it's not part of your projection. That's right. I would, the time, the first time I got hit by a car, uh, Volvo 240 wagon, uh, lady hit me and I get up off the ground and she like opens, I don't know. Maybe she just rolled the window down. Cause I was looking aggro and she maybe didn't want any part of that. But she says to me, I didn't see you. Mm-hmm. And me being extra cover said, well, I fucking hope not. <laughs> right. I've uh, got, I've gotten into that with people. They say, I didn't even see you. And I said, well, if you, if you did see me and hit me, that's you, that's vehicular manslaughter. That's intentional vehicular manslaughter, <laughs> yeah, right, right. you know, or, or attempted vehicular manslaughter. Like that's, of course you didn't fucking see me. But also, yeah. So I, w- I was mad at her. Uh huh. Sure. I was mad well, at they, her for a while. They gave, they gave you fear. You know, your well being oh, yeah. is threatened. Of course, you're fucking mad. You know, it's really hard to stay calm in a situation where you were just about done in by somebody who was, you know, mindlessly operating a eight thousand pound torpedo. Did I tell you that I got hit the other day? No. Uh that sucks. It was hilarious and it was so weird. And the only the reason I'm remembering it is because you say naturally you were angry. And I agree. Every time I've been hit by a car, it has made me angry. Uh, except for the other day, I was at the grocery store and I was walking through the parking lot and this woman <laughs> comes out of a parking space backwards and she knocked me like I'm on foot. She knocked me like two feet to the right. And I can only assume that my feet were... I was somewhere in the stride where my feet weren't planted Uh because it's like, I just, it's it was like somebody picked me up 
and put me down again two feet to the right. Wild. So I look and she stops. And she gets out of the car and she is just beside herself with regret and apology. And it probably helped that I wasn't hurt in any way. Like it didn't even feel like a bruise was going to happen. So I started, she's just like, I'm so, did I, she can't believe she hit me. She's just like, you know, she's all hands and like whatever. And I started to laugh and she's like, are you okay? And I said, I am okay. And you're okay. And I think maybe we've both learned something here. You've learned you should probably look before you just come rocketing out of a parking space. And I've learned maybe I should walk on the other side of the cars. <laughs> uh, yeah. And not to trust that anybody sees you. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I had my head in the in my ass at the time. I probably would have broken every bone in my body, but I was in that like uh, I was in jellyfish brain I, at the time. We ta- we've we've talked about that in past episodes. It's scientifically verifiable that if you get hit by a car when you're drunk, you're not going to get hurt because you go on limb <laughs> limbo limp limp yeah. limp Gumby style. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you didn't get hurt. I hate getting hit. I, it's knock on wood. I haven't been hit in so long. But, yeah. you know, I have gotten to a point, I can't always do it, but I have gotten to a point where I, uh, you know, if I have an exchange with a person and say, like, look, you have people who want you to get home in one piece. I have people who want me to get home in one piece. Uh, you know, just yeah. like, let's just let's make sure that we that each of us get home in one piece, which is also kind of a veiled threat, <laughs> which I appreciate. Yeah. But man, it's taken a long time to, uh, it's taken a long time for me to, to be able to, to, uh, adequately make that expression after my well being has been threatened. Cause I used to just fucking come unglued. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what is that? What is this? Do some people or some people just like, oh, I don't know, you know, there's a flannel or my fucking favorite hat or whatever. And I haven't seen that in a while. You could have left it at a bar. You could have left, you know, you could have fallen out of your bag and you wouldn't even never noticed it until weeks later. And then you're looking for your hat. And then all of a sudden it's like it got snatched up by aliens or something. And then you like obsess about it. And I can totally, I can totally empathize uh, with the person who, who got in touch with us about all of this. Um, it gets worse when you have kids. I had a great hat. Hat that I really loved. It was my go-to hat, and I think my youngest son liked it, so he's he would wear it if I wasn't wearing it. Mm-hmm. And then it was just gone, and I didn't <laughs> I didn't initially blame him, and I was like, God, I lost that fucking hat. So like a year later, I said to my wife, Ah, I used to have this hat. I really like this hat, and she's like, Oh yeah, Ian lost that. He left it at a <laughs> in a gym somewhere. <laughs> what? <laughs> and so See, it's. This- this whole thing goes back to what we were talking about a, a couple of weeks ago about like doubling up on shit, you know, like you have a fucking hat that you absolutely love. You got to get two more of them just in case. What was that was the preppers up uh, preppers episode doomsday preppers. So so that's funny because this particular hat, I got it. I know exactly where I got it. You can only get it at this one place. I've been there. They don't make this color of it anymore. They make terrible c- the same hat and terrible colors. And so it's like taunting me all the time. They're like, Hey, remember that great hat you had? Go fuck yourself. That's basically what it sh- should say on that hat shelf. You, you know, if you really were committed, you'd get a hold of the manufacturer and start the hunt <laughs> for, at, from the fucking source. I want you to send me a pair of white Arnett threat sunglasses, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, How many pairs I, do you have? Oh, a lot. I have a, I have a Lance Armstrong lunchbox that somehow fell and came into my possession. <laughs> and inside of this Lance Armstrong lunchbox is, or probably there's probably, I, I'm going to guess, cause I haven't looked in there uh, anywhere from eight to 10 pairs of Arnett threats. I want a pair. And um, I don't even really wear glasses anymore. I mean, <laughs> that's the fucked up thing is I, you know, like I don't, I don't wear them. I should. I will. I think I'll probably start wearing them again this summer. I went to the bike uh, bike shop, Fairhaven Bicycles, 
oh, the yeah. other the other night. Matt Namy, shout out Matt Namy, shout out Matt Namy at Fairhaven Bicycle. So so cool. I, they're just such great people. Um, but I went in there to buy a new bell for my hunter that I just brought back here. Yeah. Um, those cool like low pro nog bells I, I like yep. a lot. Yep. The one with the metal uh, spring dinger, not the one with the little plastic dinger because the spring inside of there gets yep. blown out and then it just doesn't do anything anymore. Yeah. Um, but on the shelf was this pair of clear, just I just clear riding glasses. And I, I was like, wow, those are kind of cool. I look sort of like a, like a hot college professor in them. So oh. I bought those for no fucking reason. I don't even really like them that much. So now I have another pair of clear riding glasses that I'll never wear. Oh, I, ri- I wear clear riding glasses a fair amount. Mostly because it's cold here. It's cold and like if it's cold and dark, mm-hmm. uh, as it often is, uh, those clear glasses are golden. I do like the in dark riding, dusk riding, the yellow lenses. Oh, that's nice. Uh, that's that kind of brightens stuff up or overcast days. It makes you feel like. Which, uh, oh, I'm, I'm in the Pacific Northwest. That's all there are, are overcast days. Right, right. So it makes you feel not so much like constant uh, doom and gloom. It kind of it elevates your mood a little bit. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Um, With the clear ones on, I don't look like a hot college professor. I look like I still play racquetball. <laughs> uh, who is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? He didn't have clears. He just had the, the sort of eye protector things. Remember those? Oh yeah, I love Kareem. Kareem was play, my favorite. He used to play with those, those. I, I don't know. They they weren't glasses, but they were like glasses frames. I guess uh, protecting. No, I think your... they were clear glasses. He had an eye injury. They got poked in the eye, hmm. uh, and and then he started wearing the glasses. I thought that they were just sort of glasses frames that would kind of act as an extra barrier between you know, like so you maybe you wouldn't get an elbow straight to the orbital bone or whatever you'd have something but maybe no, i guess were, he was there were lenses in him yeah he, he had like, like a cornea scratch or he had something that really fucked him up uh and then he started wearing the glasses is he the only professional basketball player to have ever worn glasses i don't oh, feel I, like i've ever seen that before i don't know but That's besides a good question. with him but i mean that you know that was before like lasik surgery and stuff so i guess if you have any kind of eye thing as a professional athlete you're probably you're probably just going to get it remedied kurt rambus kurt rambus also played for the la lakers he wore glasses huh i think that's a good look i like the yeah. old like the old basketball footage where the dudes have you know like perfectly round naturals and yes. tiny shorts yes like the, I want him to bring back the the tiny short basketball. I'd watch way more basketball if the dudes dressed like they dressed in the seventies. Yeah, the soccer was the same way. They would wear these little these little short shorts, little short shorts. Uh, it was very funny. It's great. Um, yeah, Love and it seems like a better fashion. idea. Like, why you want so much shorts? Why you want so much shorts while you're doing your athletics? But those do okay. So I'm gonna make a little bit of a departure real quick oh, just a, a quick departure slip. from our two <laughs> degrees of departure already <laughs> a side we're nowhere near the fucking topic why are you pulling the brakes now a side observation basketball players are huge they're oh good hu- one huge men <laughs> and they were wearing tiny shorts how do they they got it where do they keep all their their power you know what i mean like their business th- that's a lot of dick in a tiny <laughs> short where I never thought about that until right now. Well, they used athletic supporters. It's just got to be like a like a coiled snake. <laughs> <laughs> you are fired. Let's go to question three. Hey, thanks for sending in that topic that we fucking murdered. Let's get to question three now. Uh, you read okay. it, Mister Smart Guy. You've been captured by a tribe of triathletes. Speaking of tiny shorts. Yes. Uh, see, we brought it full circle. Uh, and they've decided to execute you as part of some pagan cycling cult ritual, we'll say. Yes, yes. Would you rather uh, they bury you alive, no casket, just dropped in a deep hole and shoveled over, or be burned at the stake? Either way, you get to choose your execution music. 
man, I've seen a couple movies about people getting buried alive, and that is not a way I would want to go. Um, I think if you're burned at the stake, if you just started like sucking up as much smoke as you could, you could asphyxiate yourself before the pain started. Mm. So I'd probably, I'd probably be burned alive. And I would, I've always said that I want, um, graveyards ain't fit to live here to be played (laughs) either when I, (laughs) either when I die or at my funeral or after I die, I want to be cryogenically frozen and fired out of a cannon into the side of a strip club. <laughs> you know what? You know what? This is what you just said. About this. <laughs> what you just said is really, really fucking with me. My wife says to me sometimes, she's like, she's like, I listen to that podcast and I'm like, you two share a fucking brain. How does this person exist in the world? It's like she she just so I have said historically that when I die, I want to be cremated, condensed into a bullet and shot into outer space. So no evidence of me genetically exists. I mean, I guess I do have children, but do you, you know what I mean? Like, I just want first. to be I want to be removed you want yeah. to be fired into the side of a strip club. Of course you do. I turn into a, like a glistening rainbow, you know, like if you're frozen solid, you just turn into <clears throat> like frozen crystalline sparkles. You're such but a romantic. Honestly, like really what I want to happen and I have the packet all filled out. There are body farms. Oh yeah. You can donate your body to. Yeah. Um, all I have to do is like, I have to figure out how to get my body shipped Back to Colorado. Well, when or, my gr- or die within 60 miles of Grand Junction. Those are my two options. My, I had this happen. My grandmother lived in Manhattan her whole life and she donated her body to NYU Medical School. Mm-hmm. But then she died in New Jersey. And so my mom, my parents were on some like long train trip when she died. So I ended up dealing with all of it. And so I call NYU and I'm like, my grandmother wants to, you know, she's dead and she wants you to have her body. And they were like, where is she? I said, New Jersey. She said, they were like, no, we can't, we can't bring her corpse across state lines. So then I, they're like, but we can put you in touch with this other medical school in New Jersey. And I was like, oh, okay. So I call them up and they're like, well, tell me about your grandmother. I was like, well, she weighs about 78 pounds or she did when she died and she's got this problem and that problem. They're like, we can't use that. Like what? <laughs> we don't want that body. Why uh, not? I mean, it just for the, 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 the bare minimum. I mean, none of the parts would be any good, but for, <laughs> for just dissection and study, you know, like, I don't know. It this turned is what a skeleton into a, looks like. It turned into a whole fucking thing. Eventually <clears> someone <throat> at the med school, I got a woman on the phone and she was like, Look, I'm just going to, she was basically like, look, I'll just take, don't ask any questions. We're going to go ahead and take the body. And I was like, sweet. (laughs) Well, 78 pounds too. You could probably like fit her in a big FedEx box and ship it. Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah. That was crazy. Um, I don't uh, want, I don't want there to be no evidence. I, I mean, really in sincerity, I would rather just turn into some fucking plants and shit. Like I would rather turn into a tree. No, that's the right thing. I think that's right. Yeah. I just like the idea of like, oh, John, he was never here. I just like that whole idea of being completely erased. I don't know why. Maybe that's fucked up. The yeah. other thing I want to say. I'm Too late uh, for that. Yeah. Uh, I think getting burned alive really, really hurts. Mm-hmm. These are both terrible. Um but going back to something we discussed, we discussed the hour long uh, lap dance to the song Dope Smoker. <laughs> yeah. I might choose at first I was like, I'm going to choose the Benny Hill theme. Uh, but because I like the idea of being like burned at the stake to the Benny Hill theme. But then actually, maybe like they burn you at the stake, but you've chosen dope smoker. And so like 
40 minutes have gone by and they're like this guy is is this guy's been gone for 38 minutes and his fucking song is still on uh, do you remember marathon candy bars yes there was an ad it used to come on saturday morning cartoons and the guy or no was it marathon or it was bit of honey it might have been bit of honey Dude is standing at the fucking stake in the, in the, uh, oh, yeah. What are they, what is it called? Firing squad is standing yeah. there and they're like, one last request. And he's like, a bit of honey. <laughs> and he eats the bit of honey. It takes so long to eat the bit of honey that all of the, all the soldiers fall asleep. Yeah. And then he sneaks away. It's fucking S- crazy. Solution. No, <laughs> no wonder our generation's so fucked up. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, Marathon Bar was a, it was a foot long. But it was just drizzled caramel. So, so it's like the same amount of caramel as like in a tiny little candy bar. It was just really <laughs> like spread out and then covered in chocolate. Or the really long Charleston chew. Yeah. Yeah. They don't they don't really advertise candy on TV anymore, do they? No, because now they uh, there's no advertising space. It's all pharmaceuticals for moderate to severe conditions. Yeah. Well, Are you a featuring- moderate to severe asshole? I am. I am featuring super happy people. You know, there's yeah. a there's an ad that came out at one point. It was for um whatever, uh uh laxatives for uh, but it's like this there's a opioid. There's a giant fucking opioid pill sitting on a bench. It's a cartoon next to a woman who's got a suitcase, a big packed suitcase that says <laughs> constipation on it. And so essentially, you know the ad I'm talking about? I think you art directed it. Go on. It's so fucked up. So this woman is basically carrying around a packed suitcase full of shit. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, this ad came on. I remember this ad came on in like during the fucking Super Bowl. (laughs) And I just realized like, oh, my God, everybody, everybody is fucking strung out. Like if this ad is playing during the Super Bowl, yeah, everybody is on fucking painkillers. Yeah, like that's what that indicated to me. And I mean, the the content of the ad, fucking hilarious. Uh, the fact that the ad existed at all is terrifying. Not, uh, yeah, dumbfounding. Not funny. Um, but that uh, that ad, I remember the first time I saw that, I was like, that lady's got a suitcase full of shit. Wild. <laughs> And she's in the park with it. She didn't know where else to go. <laughs> so she's so sad. But yeah. the, you know, uh, okay, uh, yeah. So I would take uh, burn at the stake and ain't fit to live here. That's going to be my pick. Being buried alive sounds that is like one of my worst nightmares. I'm just afraid that like it would take a long time to burn or to die. You would to be burned be, alive. Dude, it would take fucking weeks to die in a box. Well, no, you're not in a box. You're not oh, in a box. Oh, you're just buried under dirt? Yeah, just buried in dirt. Like, maybe the weight oh. of it would kill you quicker, but I still think burning is quicker, but oh, more God, painful. Terrible. But I'm definitely going with the Benny Hill theme, because fuck those guys. Okay. This one made, kind of made, me, made my stomach hurt a little bit. Well, you're welcome. Uh, what do we do now? Oh, you know what? I'm going to switch it up. No, I'm not. Thanks for listening to Revolting. (laughs) Subscribe to this stupid thing. Subscribe to the Cycling Independent. Help us pay rent. Help us make a living. We promise we won't buy Teslas and Bitcoin. Oh, real quick. So I always sign off with don't forget to suck it. Have I told you the story like where that came about? Think so. Tell it again, Uncle Steve. I worked at Swobo. After I worked at Santa Cruz Bikes and Swobo oh, made right. this was right the back. second the second version of the business. The first one was in San Francisco. The second one was in um, Santa Cruz, and the third one was in Fort Collins. And I worked at the second one, and kind of the first. I worked with the first one and the third one, but I worked at the second one. Um, and my friend Colin, who I ran the show with there in the Santa Cruz office. He would do this funny thing where he'd be on the phone with somebody and they would say, he, you know, like they'd have the conversation. He'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, one more thing I forgot. And they'd say like, oh, yeah, what's that? And he'd say, don't forget to suck. And then he'd hang up on them. <laughs> and and <laughs> we, thought, we thought it was the funniest thing. And so yeah. it just turned into this like 
joke. And then I learned sign language for D, T, F, S, I. And I've used that a number of times. And my friend Danny Buzzard and I always tell each other to don't forget to suck it. I don't know. So it just it turned into a sign off here. You've been a 12 year old uh, for 30. Mm hmm. That's been uh, my joke. I've been a 13 year old skateboarder for fucking 38 years. Right. Haven't gotten any better. Sensibilities are all the same. Uh, anyway, uh, thanks for listening to Revolting. And uh, on behalf of the Cycling Independent, I'm Steve. And I'm a lot. Yeah. Don't forget to suck it. Yeah.